Hello and welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on lawrencehits.com. And I love that whoever you are who's listening, who knows where you are, you could be anywhere. I love that. I love that. And, and I hope that there are people, lots of different places who hear this because I think that we just need to keep spreading the word about people who are doing impressive, explosive, high impact art um, especially writing, since that works so well to share on radio. Um, and and those people are all over. And it's always interesting to me to find out that there are these connections between people. And that's how I end up with different guests on the show, which is a delight. I'm a huge believer in the power of sharing words through words that are poetry, that are other kinds of writing, music with lyrics, and of course, the work that I do is with talking and listening as a social worker, but but I love the art part of it. I love art and the way that sometimes people get to experience something, hear something, recognize something about themselves and see somebody else knows about that too. And that's powerful and that's important and we all need those kinds of connections. So I am very pleased to have as my guest today, Scott Wozniak, who is joining us via technology from Southern Oregon. And we're gonna see where we go, which is what always happens on Talk With Me. We'll sprinkle in some poetry from Scott and of course, any show of mine will include some laughter and it'll be good. And whether you really think, I don't know if I really love poetry, you'll love hearing the conversation and things that just resonate with you and your life. Maybe even prompt you to do something a little different than you've done before. Like maybe those suggestions for journaling that somebody's been saying to you, maybe those actually are a good idea. Maybe writing is something that you want to do more of instead of less of. Who knows? Anyway, I want to welcome Scott Wozniak. Hey, Scott. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. It's it's just so beautiful here. And I'm I'm a nature outside lover. I tell people like one of my favorite things in the world to do is to be able to be outside bare feet wandering in a grassy field, you know, bare feet and all. It's like, aren't you worried? Yeah, I've only had one bad experience with something that that I stepped on that caused a terrible reaction. But, you know, (laughs) there's something cool about feeling the earth and certainly being out in the sky and the wind and whatever is growing and whatever kind of critters are wandering around or sticking bird songs and all of that. So this is the kind of morning that's just really beautiful for me here. But also it's a great morning because I love starting with these radio shows. So tell us a little bit about you. Uh, Well, uh, like I said, I'm living in Southern Oregon, uh, Medford area. Um, Speaking outdoor, you will be in heaven here because it's just gorgeous, you know, right in the middle of the mountain ranges two or three mountain ranges all meet up right here. Um, But yeah, basically, you know, kind of live here with my wife and kid and do the blue collar workhorse thing and then write poetry and try to keep myself busy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, you know, I'm kind of your average Joe. I just uh, somehow got lucky to get on your show. I love this show. (laughs) 
I've listened to it numerous times. You have tons of people that I really respect on here all the time, so I'm honored. Thank you. Oh. Well, I'm I'm excited to do this with you, and you know, as we were talking before we got on air. So, so for listeners, Scott gifted me with Crumbling Utopian Pipe Dream, his new book. And when I see this cover, and I, I don't know if everybody does this, I kind of flip through a book when I get it at first and just randomly read something and then go, wow. And then I look at the back, and I look at the back of this book, and I see the three people who comment on this book, the, the, the little advanced reviews that are on here. And the first one is Rob Plath, who I adore. Rob Plath, and that may seem like a weird word for who he is and what he does, but Rob Plath is one of the poets who's also associated with Epic Rights Press, which is Wolfgang Karsten's press up in Canada. Rob is a photographer, a painter, a poet, and he, his, his words in, in listening to him with his poetry as well as talking to him, he's an amazing person. And so I'm like, oh, wow, Rob Platt like this. This is going to be really good. And then I look at the next person, Danny Carlson, who is also associated with the, with the folks I know with Epic Rights Press and is an, an artist who has a certain style of illustration. Once you see Yanni's work, it's like, you know, oh, this one, Victor Clevenger's book, this book, this book, this book. And so it's like, these are powerful people that are writing about this. And I'm thinking, this guy's poetry has to be fabulous. Or these people would not be writing about it. So, so I'm saying already, as I always do, buy the book. Look for Scott Wozniak's books. Look for him and and buy. And and as I say that, I say that about this is something that we need to do. Like we need to support the art that we love. And poetry books, for the most part, are not huge expenses, you know? So mm -hmm. you can follow the lead of poet John Ramrus, who buys a book every week of the year, you know, and maybe that's 10 bucks, maybe it's 15 bucks, you know. Sometimes it's even a little less than that. But the idea of really supporting what we love by spending our time and money with those things. We can always, not always, but most of us have some some ways we can adjust our income. And my, my favorite example is don't buy that freaking big drink from that chain coffee shop. <laughs> yeah, buy a poker book instead. <laughs> Yep, yep. You know, my yeah. thing is normally you, you you skip out on one pack of cigarettes and you can probably afford a book of poetry. Right. You know? <laughs> You're right. And so, you know, whatever that thing is, you know, if and, and I understand for some people there is no there is no substitution thing. There is no possibility there. But for a lot of us there is. And for those who there isn't, maybe you have a friend who'll buy it for you. I, I had a delightful experience being at a poetry event and watching this young um, young as in probably middle school, high school age person talking to this poet and, and knowing that, ah, oh, man, she was dying for this book. And so I just kind of sidled up to her and I said, hey, you know, it seems like you would really like to have, you know, a, a Natasha's book. And she said, yeah, but I, I really, I can't. And I said, well, if you will let me, I will pay for it. And she just looked at me and beamed. It was like, yes. Nice. So there we go. <laughs> nice. Yep. Yeah. I, I have a bad habit of just handing out my books at poetry readings. If I see somebody that's kind of digging it, I'm like, uh, here you go. You know, like get them out there. 
kind of spread the word, whatever. It's yeah, not a, yeah. You know, I don't know. This whole poetry thing, for me, anyhow, you know, it's, it's not a huge uh, <laughs> profit creator, and I, you know, right. didn't start doing it for, you know, monetary reasons to begin with, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I get that. I get that, and and it's, to me, I, I live that dilemma because I do a lot of my social work with people who really don't have much money, and I do work with people for free sometimes and work with people for very low cost. And I have a few people who are able to pay more and will do that. And, and I realize that it's all important, you know, that we, that, that for those who can, that showing their, their value of things by saying, I'm spending the money here. I'm committed to this. I want to help. That's important. And to know that we deserve that. You deserve that for the writing that you're putting out there in the world. So sure. that's, that's my lecture to you as a poet and other artists who might be listening is there should be comfort in asking for the money for those things that we uh, create. Anyway, so yeah. so you you write for the love of writing is basically what you've just said and you yeah yeah have been doing that for a long time I think I mean when I read about you there's you've been doing poetry and being recognized for a long time so tell um, us a, yeah yeah you know it's been fairly I've, I've been writing geez you know pretty well as long as I can remember uh, a lot of it was you know started out Teenage angst, drivel, you know, uh, just it was kind of my way of being able to purge a lot of the the things in my head, the demons and whatnot that were, you know, driving me crazy as a youth. Um, and I really worked on it for a long time. It's just something that stuck with me. I don't know. It just uh, was a natural fit, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I just kept doing it, kept doing it for years and years and years. A lot of times it was a bunch of garbage that I would never want anybody to read. <laughs> and then eventually it clicked, you know. Um, I went through some things in life that I kind of had to baggage and wreckage that I kind of had to put behind me. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, you know, I, I kind of thanks to the urging of my wife, even, you know, she's like, man, you need to start doing with this, something with this stuff. Cause I'm like getting sick of moving stacks of paper and notebooks <laughs> all around the house and like filling drawers, you know? So, um, yeah, really thanks to her. She kind of gave me the nudge and I started just shooting submissions out uh -huh. only about three years ago, honestly. And, um, you know, at first I was kind of, sending them to the wrong places just because I wasn't hugely familiar with the uh, wide berth of the scene, you know, as far as stylistically. Um, and so, yeah, I got a lot of, a lot of, you know, rejections at first. And then the more I poked around and I started seeing writers I like, like you mentioned, you know, Rob Plath and Yanni and like all, you know, a whole handful of other other writers and um just kind of started taking notes on where i was seeing their stuff and then i started submitting to those places and um lo and behold i started getting acceptances you know yeah. um and it, it was pretty cool you know the whole the whole thing you know like you like you mentioned how rob and yanni gave me a, a little seal of approval on the back cover yeah. of the book you know and that was that's huge to me those were those two guys are definitely guys who work I looked at and looked up to 
for, you know, a number of years. I got a bookshelf full of their stuff mm-hmm. even before I started submitting, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I just kind of reached out to a, a handful of the writers that I, I kind of idolized in a way, you know. And these guys were all super cool and, you know, yeah. super supportive and, like, you know, telling me to keep 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 writing and just uh, knocking it out, you know. And then next thing, you know, over the years, we kind of became friendly, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's cool. I, I find the more that I kind of reach out to these, you know, different writers, everybody's, for the most part, really supportive and, and you know, tries to help each other get their stuff out, you know. I mean, like, for instance, I know you've interviewed Damien Rucci before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And, um, you know, I was going out to um new jersey a couple years ago to see chain's addiction Uh and um you know i just i'd been seeing his stuff online we're twitter buddies you know and i just shot a message out to him see if he'd be into doing a show together and lining one up for me and you know he was Uh more than more than happy to do it you know i had a good up there and i got to perform on a coast thousands of miles away from where I live, you know, with yeah. the, and, and with a good receptive crowd and whatnot. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, I find if you just kind of put the feelers out there, people are more than happy to, you know, help and kind of, you know, take you into their little personal scene, you know, kind of a little yeah. the same way you do for the most part, you know, yeah. you've got your team there in, in Lawrence and, you know, you, you, you're bringing people from all over the world, not even just the country, you know? <laughs> That's pretty so, cool. Yeah. Well, see, I love what you're saying about your experience, and, and as people are hearing you, that, that you reached out to some people whose work you really remind, you really admired, and you got good response, and, and you have become part of this network of people that are writing and putting their work out there and helping put other people's work out there, and and the idea of traveling and also being able to share your poetry while you're there, you know, everything you're saying is, is really great for people who are thinking about writing to know that there are a lot of really supportive and talented people all over. And I would also say for people who aren't writers, it's like, you can do that same kind of thing in whatever your, your area is you know in terms of what you're interested in you can reach out to people and and it's like when i meet somebody when i meet somebody and and they you know they're well known whatever i always try to keep in my mind you know but but they're a regular person too you know they ride their bike sometimes and and they have to go to the grocery store and, and they're they're not something different than other people you know they have a talent that's known but you know like to try to to prevent that sense of oh there's such a difference and intimidation that can come that way and you know recognize that that there's benefit for them to be able to just be real and talk with you and things that they're going to learn from you too. And, you know, to, to reach out to people like that is, is cool. It's so cool for both people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've definitely found that it's like, you know, you, you, if you have somebody that you think is just great at whatever they do, you know, you kind of get this whole built up thing in your head about they're untouchable almost, but that's, more times than not, that's not the case. At least, hopefully yeah. not. Hopefully, they're a little grounded. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, some people are dicks and they're talented too, you know. <laughs> sure. But a lot of people aren't. <laughs> a lot of people are really good people and talented. <laughs> yep, yep. And yeah, you know, people in the arts tend to tend to 
you know, we all have our little second guessing of things and we're like a little, you know, hopefully have a little more human touch. And then if they're dicks, then, uh, you know, fuck them. <laughs> you don't want, you, you, you want to, you don't want their help anyhow. So, That's and and to remember that sometimes just because somebody can write on the page and be at a mic does not mean that they are a person who has a lot of confidence in social interactions. So sometimes yeah. that hesitance you get from somebody isn't because they think you're lesser than them. It's because they're kind of socially anxious. And so yeah. when they're not in that role of at the mic, it may be really hard for them to be able to yep. just talk to you. So so don't assume the worst. <laughs> yep. No, you're exactly right. I'm actually thinking of a, I mean, he's kind of become a friend of mine, but he was like a musical, he's, he's a musical genius really. But, um, and we've kind of become friends, but it was, um, you know, kind of not super tight or anything, but friendly friends when we see each other. But, uh-huh. you know, it's one of those things, he, like you just said, he's, he's definitely a little, got some social awkwardness and it's uh-huh. not anything except for just his own anxiety, just, yeah. you know, about life, which we all have that. So, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I, can, I can understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I want to get back to sort of your writing stories. So, yeah. so many, <laughs> so many, and it's men, not women. So many male writers I've talked to will say that they started writing bad love poems to a girl. And I've, I've yet to have one of them say it was bad love poems to a man and a bit, to a boy, but I've been waiting for that. But but you, <laughs> you didn't say you started with bad love poems. You said there was hard stuff that you needed to get out, and, and you did that through poetry. And yeah, you know, I mean, I did my handful of, uh, you know, using poetry to my advantage against with the male species, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> you know, it's... It, that was just one of the things. I know it's kind of like uh, for Jimmy Buffett say he picked up the guitar so he could get a check, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, for me, though, it was really more like, I don't know, my father died when I was really young. So there's like a bunch of shit I had to process about yeah. that, you know. Um, and just and it kind of just kind of went on from mm-hmm. there, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I don't know. It's for me. It's been it, for years. It was more of a cathartic thing. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, you know almost like mental vomit on this on the page. You know, mm-hmm. or as um, Wolfgang would say, letting it bleed. You know, that's what yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And then luckily, uh, the longer I did it, the more I was able to kind of refine. You know, and um, really, the more I read other guys, it's like how I learned a lot, you know, uh-huh. I, um, I actually did a couple of years, uh, behind bars and I can't even tell you how many guys stuff I read. I was having, uh, my mother send me a batch of books every week, you know, and for me, that's where I, you know, I like to say that's where I got my, uh, MFA, you know, <laughs> sitting in a cell and just soaking everything in, you know? That's a hard way to do it. I mean, and I, you know, as you say that right now, I have a dear friend who's who's locked up, and the whole story that led to that is very sad. As I think most of those situations, unfortunately, you know, that's that's the reality. It's not, it's not bad people. It's bad shit happens. More bad shit happens. More bad shit happens, and sometimes the way that we deal with that isn't so great. And then 
in somebody's case, yours maybe, certainly my friend Tegan's, then you end up locked up. And then yeah. you're not with people who are going to be the most communicative and supportive and safe. You can't be vulnerable in that situation, you know? And so how do you deal with that, who you really are, but how to stay safe where you are at that time? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, and again, that's where for me, you know, poetry was another huge saving grace. I would uh-huh. sit up all night long and, you know, I made a regiment every night. I'm going to sit down and write while I'm in here, you know. Uh-huh. And um, I, I really think that's kind of where it all kind of started to come together. And I started figuring out this writing thing and how to do something that, you know, can pass for all right poetry. You know? uh-huh. Um, so yeah, and you know, and it, it was just, again, it was that release, you know, I was able to talk about, you know, the experiences I was going through, the feelings I was feeling mm-hmm. and, um, not have to worry about, you know, looking like a sissy to the, the fellow guys in my, on my tier, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Which is I a real know. thing. I mean, that you have to be cautious and guarded and that is yeah, necessarily you know. your, your way of being in the world in other experiences. Sure. Yeah. Sure. You know, got to kind of play the tough guy role a little bit, but you know, mm-hmm. I mean, whatever it is what it is and if i mean you know i i honestly feel sorry for people who don't have a way of you know actually pulling over the the real thoughts instead of having to always put up the mask you know mm-hmm. um so you know it's it's just i don't know it's something that i feel is like always been a way to just kind of get me the the truth of a matter you know mm-hmm. and i mean in my opinion too that's all good poetry you can you can tell when there's fluff and bullshit in a poem you know mm-hmm. and that's the stuff that i you know some of it you know people love but for me personally i like true life experiences um generally on the greater darker side of things you know mm-hmm. um that's just and maybe that's just because a good portion of my life is been involved in those sort of things, you know, so I can relate, you know? Um, and that, that's another driving force behind kind of what I do. You know, I'm sure you noticed when you read my book, that some of it, you know, deals a lot with, you know, kind of harsher realities, yeah. but you know, um, I got, a, I've gotten a lot out of like the readings before I had somebody walk up to me, you know, and it was a, it was a pretty brutal poem, you know, about just, um, maybe screwed up experience in in childhood you know and um you know i had a girl walk up to me and was like oh man this is you know thank you for that you know like me and my brother had you know a really hard childhood and like you know just getting that relation there and like you can see that maybe she hadn't heard poetry of that nature before and she all of a sudden found herself relating you know yeah and that's a you know. huge gift. And, and I think that's one of the, that's, that is something that I hear so much from people who are younger or newer poets um, and people who just like poetry and maybe don't consider themselves poets at this point, is that one of the huge benefits of reading and especially hearing somebody read their work 
is experiencing somebody basically speaking your truth, stuff that you're not talking about, but it's huge and it affects you and it informs how you go about in the world. And then suddenly you hear somebody at the mic being able to speak about that. And Mm -hmm. one, you know, you're not alone. And two, you see this person who you admire who knows this stuff and it gives you hope that you can get to a better place sometimes with stuff that you really aren't moving forward yet. You're still being held back. You know, it's powerful. Yep. It's really powerful. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, so and on did, that. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say on that note, I mean, I have, I was wanting to read the uh, yes. opener to yes. my new book, Crumbling Utopian Pipe Dream, if you don't mind. That's perfect. Um, That's exactly what I was going to prompt is. Let's hear poetry. (laughs) All right. All right. Um, This is a poem titled, If Only the Good Die Young, It's No Wonder I'm Growing Old. A willful exercise in the fine art of angst. That's what I told myself the smash bottles, broken ribs, and flipped cars were. I was a player acting out the part of a character submerged in controlled anger. I had my shit under wraps. Even when the cops knew my name better than the bartenders at every 6 a.m. hole in the wall within walking distance of the halfway house. See, I was convinced I'd converted low life into high art. A high-speed chase, a heroin habit, a gunslinger's agenda. These things were part of the motif in the composition I was creating with bad attitude, fuck you, I don't give a damn hurricane, whirlwind, spinning cross-country. I told myself I'd honed a craft most were scared to perfect. I was an artist in felonies, my canvas. For every thousand committed, there's only one in the books, was the misplaced pride overheard falling from my lips. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that, that kind of, that poem to me kind of sums up a lot of my past in one quick, you know, shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, like I said, there's a lot of people out there that have lived the same life. And, and a lot of times, most of those guys aren't privy to poetry you know poetry is like a four-letter word to some of these guys you know um it's you know i mean here's another one i got and this was based off a character that i'd met when i was kind of living on the streets you know um and this one's called jesus got himself a chrome 45 a rosary tattoo wraps around his hand and wrist but you'll never hear him mutter a Hail Mary for the sins the tears on his face represent. He's known to take an eye for a dollar and would rather serve time than turn the other cheek. Yesterday, Jesus showed us his new peace by shoving its barrel in the face of a junkie begging forgiveness. Someday, Jesus, someone is going to nail your ass to a cross. <laughs> you know, yeah, so... I don't know. Like I said, I gravitate towards this like grimier, more realistic stuff, you know? And you're saying, and it's related to your life. Uh, you know, yeah, for it's sure. Not, it's not just, I'm going to write about bad stuff. It's like, this is, this is stuff that I've experienced that people I love have experienced. This is stuff that's close to me and we got to talk about it. You know, yeah. we, we got to put it out there. And, you know, and I think about, I, I don't know how many people I've known in my life who've spent time in a penitentiary, but but I know a few who've been open about that, you know, and and I look at them and, and I, I think about a conversation I had last night with a, a friend who's a, a journalist, kind of a writer, and 
he volunteers in this program in the women's prisons around here. And part of what he does is, is help them write and get some of their stories out of them, you know, to, to put some light on stuff that's typically secrets. Mm-hmm. And it's so important. And, and where I'm headed with both of this, and, you know, I, I shared that I have a friend who's, who's locked up right now. It's like, these are people who are kind, beautiful, wonderful people who've had some terrible life experiences and had to adapt to those. And sometimes, yeah, made some mistakes, sometimes did what they had to to stay alive. And that's what my friend Dave would say about, he said, he has said that for the years that he's been doing this work in the prison, he, I don't think he's met any women who hadn't experienced abuse in childhood and or in relationships, but serious abuse, you know, and, and that whatever crime that they are locked up for, is often associated with trying to get out of that situation. Right. And so we, we got to get past this idea that bad people are locked up. And then I laugh about a story of, of with a friend of mine who, who this was a long time ago, and, and we, we went to dinner in a nearby city. And when we're leaving and we're on the highway, he looks at me and he goes, oh, man, I wanted to show you two things when we were there. It's like, what was that? He goes, I wanted to show you the high school I went to and the bank that I robbed. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. Covers his full life experiences. (laughs) Nice. Yes. And I'm not saying Rob Banks. I'm just saying no, that sometimes no, what gets not. us there isn't what other people might assume, you know? Yeah, no, no. I mean, honestly, you know, for me, getting locked up was one of the best things that could have happened. It probably saved my life at that point in time, you know? So, yeah. And and like I said, it kind of got me into honing this craft a little more because uh-huh. what, what else did I have to do, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it's and, and as far as the you know, poetry in prisons and writing programs in prison. Those things are great. I know, you know, Punk Hostage Press is one that they they do a big outreach program in the prison systems. And, um, yeah, and I kind of, I've been wanting to get involved in it, you know, but, you know, life gets in the way of us doing too many things sometimes. But, yeah, no, that's definitely part of my agenda, you know. Very cool. And I will say, huge. I have a huge shout-out for people around here because, in Lawrence, um, we do have some poets who are going into our local jail and teaching writing, and that's this beautiful thing. And and I also had the experience of meeting, just randomly, um, just coincidentally meeting somebody the day he'd been released from the jail. And and here's this guy Wesley. He's he walks up to me and my friend Sue. We're sitting and talking and. She actually is playing her harmonica and has a sign saying free poetry. <laughs> and so, right. so Wesley walks up and here's this guy and he's carrying a big enough pack backpack that you think, I think this guy is probably experiencing homelessness right now because he's carrying too much shit with him. You know, he could be, <laughs> but I think he's probably, you know, just anyway. So, so he sits down with us and he goes, oh man, I want to share something with you. And, and I'm thinking, here's this guy who's, you know, he's, I'm just thinking, looks like he's down on his luck, man. And so he's digging through this pack and he pulls out this, this set of papers 
and it's poetry. And so yeah. he not only shared his poetry, but he was going on about how this is when he was, he just got out of jail and these guys came in there and they were teaching poetry and he had this, this set of poems and how this was, you know, just how meaningful, how important this was for him. And in fact, he even, he, he didn't have the confidence himself to be at the mic, but we had an event that weekend and, and he came and he had somebody else read his work. And it's like, this, I was like, this is what it's about. This is so amazing, so powerful, instilled so much help, hope in this person. And yeah. so in Lawrence, that's going on. In Kansas City, there are poets that are that are loosely affiliated with this particular poetry scene with Prospero's books and Uptown Arts Bar. And they're doing work in, in prisons around there. It's like, this is so cool. So yes, yeah, people, we need to do this stuff. Yeah. You know, and there's times people that can be just, you know, an untapped resource of power they didn't know they had, you know, yeah, yeah. pushing through the hard times, you know. Yeah. So, you and know, being able to communicate different. takes some of the intensity off of things that might drive us towards doing something that's not so wise, whether it's oh, yeah, somebody else. Yeah. yeah, I fully agree. Once you kind of talk about something, it takes the power away from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we need to take a, a quick break here and hear from a couple of the businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And I like to use this moment to say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces the show, so that people get to hear it. And then we'll be right back with more talk with me. And today my guest is Scott Wozniak, a poet from Oregon, and we're going to hear more of his poetry and more conversation in just a minute. Hey, listeners, welcome back to more talk with me. And again, today, my guest is Scott Wozniak, who's a poet, and I'm guessing a troublemaker from Oregon. <laughs> reformed, reformed troublemaker. <laughs> a habitual line stepper. <laughs> When, when did you start doing your poetry in public, you know, in terms of, oh, well, I think I, man, that's a whole other step. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I kind of, it's maybe five or six years ago, I started doing it. Well, actually, before that, I guess, me and a buddy had this thing we put together, we called it the Acoustic Tongue Sessions, and... um was kind of a conglomerate of poetry and acoustic music. Mm -hmm. We kind of wrote a storyline. It was loosely based around a homeless kid wandering the streets because him and I had both been there. And, um, you know, we kind of went back and forth, swapping off, taking turns um, between poems and songs and kind of just wrote this whole storyline. So we performed that at a couple places, and that was really my first time getting out and doing it you know um and then you know i just started hitting open mics and different readings that i see locally i did a, i used to live in chicago so i'd go to a couple big readings there and i was always surprised by the you know by the way people responded you know mm-hmm. uh, um and even that that was you know and it was still years before i attempted to get anything actually published. And that was still at the point in time where I was just kind of writing for this, you know, 
for the sake of writing, nobody would ever see it really besides me and maybe the old lady, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, and you know, I've gradually gotten more comfortable with it. Now I'll go get on stage whenever there's an opportunity more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is, it's a different thing, you know? I mean, sometimes I definitely, you know, I have certain poems that I feel are more stage poems, other ones that are more page poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell that, you know, pretty easily when I'm writing it but at the same time I have a habit of like wanting to read what the hell I want to read and mm-hmm. not really caring how, how the response is going to be so I'll get up there sometimes and things will bomb and then uh, <laughs> you know but then it's funny because somebody will sit down and read the same poem and be like holy shit that's amazing you know so <laughs> it's just it's strange it's a strange dynamic uh-huh. but you know I don't know. I think I think when you can actually sit down and read it, you know, people are more apt to internalize it and kind of analyze it a little more as opposed to just hearing it real quickly and it spins by, you know? Yeah. My my favorite, of course, is the combination. I, I love to be able to hear the poet read in their own voice. And yeah. then I like the, that opportunity to really slow down with the words on the page. And so... To me, to me, for the most, there, there's only one person. That, there's one person I've seen, and I'm in the minority about this. Patricia Lockwood, who's who has a national reputation at this time, she's an amazing performer of her readings at her readings. Yeah, she's yeah. she's really great. And then, for me, because maybe because she's so great as a performer, when I have her book and I'm reading on the page, it's like it doesn't do it for me at all. No, I can totally relate. There's a number of people that I'll see them on the stage. I'm like, wow, they're, like, amazing. <laughs> Some of the poetry slants and stuff. But then it just it doesn't, you know, go back into uh, written word as, as well, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. But but that doesn't mean they're not great at what they do, you know. Right. I mean, she's she's she is really good, and and there are other people. There are a few people. I'm kind of a voice per. Oh, I know I am a voice person for a lot of reasons, and a few people I've heard is like, mm, you should have somebody else read your work <laughs> because you know the the reality for me is that you know I do love the page and being able to slow down and think about it. I also love the spoken part for the other reason that sometimes when you when I hear it, I actually am not sure which word, and, I, and I'll give, I give an example. And I, dang it, I need to get back and look and see whose poem this is. But, but a poem, a poet who has a book entitled Oliver Leaves. And, and when you hear that, it's like, is this all of her leaves and right. is leave a verb or is leave a noun or is this Oliver as in a person's name leaves? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I love those kinds of things that, that prompt my brain to spin around the different meanings of things. Yes. And yes. so that that's one of the beauties of hearing things out loud. And it takes, and it is a talent to be able to have those kinds of double meanings in things, that kind of wordplay 
which which is something I love. So I, I like both. I encourage people to to get out and hear readings and and as I have said, and to buy the book and get that writer's signature in there and, yeah. and have this special treat. And if you decide later to gift it to somebody, you know, great. That's great. Yep. But but having it on the page is really cool. So don't yeah. only read online, people. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I'm a big supporter of buying books. That's almost my one of my guilty habits. You know, I'm always yeah. Yeah, having a having some other book of poetry arriving in the mail. You know, almost yes. weekly at this point. Yes, but, and and my. My suggestion that I'll repeat from other people, and I believe it as well, especially for people who are younger poets who don't maybe have, haven't thought about this, when you're at the mic, read from paper, whether it, it is if you have a chapbook or book that's been published and you're holding that and people see what it looks like, that's cool. If it's paper, you have yeah, more connection with the audience from paper yeah. than when you're looking at your tiny phone screen. Yeah, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 And I think I think that people who are so used to using their phones don't realize that it does limit their interaction with the audience. And part of what you want is to be yeah. able to be seen and see the audience while you're reading. And that small screen yeah. is a medusa for that. So tell a little bit about your book and your publisher. Yeah, um, it's published through Moran Press, which they are uh, based out of around Las Vegas area. I think it's Henderson. Um, Stephen Moran runs the press. Uh, the guy's great, you know. It was a, I was just couldn't be happier working with them. Um, they got a lot of different stuff. If you go to their website, moranpress.com, they have every, you know, poetry, um, a lot of fiction. They even got a child's book up now, I believe. Um, there's, you know, there's a ton of great writers on there, and they were kind of one that was a little bit under my radar, honestly, when I first started submitting the manuscript um and i've been seeing them a little bit i wasn't too familiar with a whole lot of their stuff but i went ahead and you know bought a book and kind of looked at what they were doing and i was impressed you know um and then you know shot them the manuscript and even right away jumped on it you know Mm -hmm. um and just the whole process with them they were great you know they didn't expect me to uh they didn't request a whole lot of changes in what I was doing and, you know, was fully believes it and backs it and he's doing everything he can to get it out there too. And it looks great, you know? Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I I would highly suggest, you know, not even just to get a copy of my book, which, Hey, go ahead. But, um, (laughs) you know, they got, they got great writers on there and, uh, you know, if you're going to get on the website, you might as well grab two books, three books, whatever. You know, you won't be disappointed. And Stephen himself writes. He's, I think he's got three books out on the press, and, and his stuff's great, too, you know. And tell us a little bit about the artist. I'll post the book cover with the in social media, but it's there's a lot going on in this book cover. Tell a little bit about that, how that came together. Yeah, that's Marie Anger. Um, 
she's amazing. She's um, mainly a comic book artist, um, but I actually, she got on my radio, radar because she did the cover for an issue of Paper and Ink, which is a zine that Martin Appleby puts out. It's out of the U.K., and I got a contributor's copy for one of them that I was in and loved the artwork on the cover and then um, just, you know, shot her an email and I gave her a really loose idea. I sent her some Pinterest pictures of just, uh, you know, decrepit, crumbling 70s era New York City, you know, because um, that's kind of the imagery I had in my head from what the, the title poem that the book's based off of, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so, and then I sent her the work and she just knocked it out the park. I couldn't yeah. be happier with the you yeah. know. It's very and, cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll read the poem that she, it's, the cover is supposed to be kind of loosely based off of which like i said is uh the title poem crumbling utopian pipe dream it's i dream of fire and rubble dominating the landscape city streets bathed in chaos and confusion asphalt and cinder baptized in destruction as our sins and self-sabotage wash down gutters rebirth found in the purge of a crumbling utopian pipe dream that never materialized into anything other than pain and deceit in this wreckage, we can start fresh. As lies, booze, drugs, death, $2 tricks, and trash recede in spectral path. Left behind with the children as they climb from decay with forgotten dreams, hell bent on reclaiming the souls all us unworthy savages sold off for scraps. And, you know, that's, that's where you know, she threw in the kids jumping rope yeah. in the middle of all of this just decaying cityscape, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just the image it conjures in my head too, you know, she, she, she killed it. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, this is sort of one of my, my core beliefs at this point in my life is that when I look at a picture like this and I look at, you know, real parts of towns near me and places I've been, what I believe is that the reason for crumbling buildings is largely people of privilege deciding to move away from those others, whoever they define as other. And the, there's a, there are a series of things that happen, but, but that there's no need for that. And if we value people and all people and recognize that that what happens to anybody affects us, you know? Our communities are only as strong as the people who are struggling the worst. So let's elevate everybody, not move away from each other, you know? So the cover really speaks to me just as your poetry does. There's a lot of of pain in this book, you know? And and we've got to acknowledge this is real. And and I I also wanna ask you, sort of where you are at this point in your life. How how have you moved through some of the experiences that you have? Oh, you know, I mean, a lot, you know, writing helped a lot. Um, and I think just growing up to a certain degree and realizing, yeah, shit happens to everybody. Like, get over it. Pull your big boy panties <laughs> up, you know? Uh, 
Some uh, you know. people have more shit in their life, and some of it is bad luck. You know, I mean, so so because not everybody gets it. Not everybody really has to deal with a lot of hardship. Sure, sure, but I think you know, I I truly think that the majority of people, you know, have rough shit that they go through uh-huh. to whatever degree that may be. You know, uh-huh. I mean, I think definitely. Certain people can handle more than others, and maybe that's why they get the fucking short end of the stick. I don't know, but you know, it's um, it's just one of the things. You know, life is kind of crazy. You never know what's gonna happen. You know, anything unexpected can happen at any point in time, and it's really about how you face that adversity. You know, how you how you handle it. You know, and that and then I'm saying that from a perspective of not handling it very well for years and uh, having to come to terms with it and just kind of moving forward, you know, like life is what it is. So you might as well make the best of it instead of dwelling on some certain aspect and letting that define you, you know? Yeah. And do you have some ideas about what got you to make that realization and, and to live in a different way? Because you know, reading mean, your book, I'm thinking, you know, you have some really harsh experiences that you've, you've again, moved through, and they're part of who you are right now, but you're not living that life anymore. Sure. Um, I mean, a lot of it was just kind of being sick and tired of being sick and tired, as they say, you know, mm-hmm. and um, wanting to move forward. You know, because for years, I, you know, I use drugs as a way to cope and kind of mask that shit. And um, eventually, for me, it came to a point where it wasn't working anymore. And I mean, that heroin overdose poem you have is really powerful. Yeah, yeah. That that was um, that was funny, that because I wrote that poem I, when I decided to get sober, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I was maybe two, three months sober. And um, at that point in time, a bunch of my old running mates and, like, dear friends were just dropping like flies. Yeah. Um, You know, there's a part in the poem where I say every two months, you know, another friend's dying. And that was true. You know, I I wish I had enough fingers and toes to to count them all off, you know. Yeah. Um, But it was one of the things, you know, I also had a kid. I didn't want to do the same thing to him you know my father died when i was young and i was on the uh fast track to killing myself and i didn't want to leave him you know stranded without a father the same way i was you know um so you know like i said i don't know i can't really stick my finger on it it's just there's a whole conglomerate of things you know growing Mm -hmm. up and sick of doing what the hell i was doing seeing for me a lot of it was recognizing the destruction that was being how it was affecting the people around me you know because i mean i know for years i was like you know people get off my back i'm hurting nobody but myself but that's far from the truth you know when you're it it reaches way out there to other people you love you know Mm -hmm. and um sometimes you're just so caught up in your own bullshit you don't recognize that until Mm -hmm. you get a chance to kind of step away from it you know Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, and like I said earlier, that's 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 really when I got serious about trying to get my my poems published. You know, mm-hmm. um, was after I kind of was able to clear my head and step away from all the the chaos. You mm-hmm. know, 
Um, but yeah, it's hard to hard to put my finger on exactly what it was. It's just I think it's just an overtime thing. Uh, you know, all sorts of things just kind of came together. Uh-huh. But you know, um, which you know, if you want, I can read that poem that you're speaking of, numb, because yeah. um, it kind of <laughs> this the end of this will answer that question better than I can. You okay. Know? Um, so this is called Numb, and it's when my first friend to overdose on heroin died. I threw a fit, stole booze from Safeway, and threw a brick through the store's window, then got shit-faced alone in an alley, because that's how he died. When my second friend to overdose on heroin died, I sat surrounded by other friends, pounding old-style bottles, breaking every empty over my head to convey the pain I felt. When my third friend overdosed on heroin died, I too was strung out and figured the most poetic statement I could make was to celebrate his life by shoving a needle in my arm. When my fourth friend overdosed on heroin died, I did the same sad junkie routine, never seeing the irony. When friends five through ten overdosed on heroin and died, I was in prison and cried alone in my cell while thanking God for placing me in a casket with an exit. When friends 11 through 15 overdosed on heroin and died, I shrugged it off, saying that's what happened to us junkies. Rolled up my sleeve and got high again. When friends 16 through 20 overdosed on heroin and died, I felt nothing, but took it as a sign it was time to get clean, so I checked myself in. Today, I have well over two dozen friends who overdosed on heroin and are dead. Hell, last year alone, like clockwork, every two months, another friend overdosed on heroin and died. I stood numb, tearless thinking to myself, they finally got what they wanted. And I wondered, what the fuck made me stop wanting to die? To see that, to me, is more mysterious than death could ever be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that poem pretty well sums it up. I don't fucking know, man. It just got old. <laughs> so. One of them things, you know, over time you do the same thing long enough, you're going to get sick of it, Depending, especially if it's destructive, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. And some of those are kind of rough to even, like, revisit, you know? Yeah. Um, as much as I know, I know my mother isn't a big fan of reading those things. She says it's hard yeah. for her. Yeah. But, you know. See, and then, but then here, on the flip side of that coin, I got Despite the Sweeping Blade. It's as a skeleton shrouded in rags provides its all too familiar services, we dance on graves with friends and lovers to celebrate their legacies. And we find ourselves choosing life despite the sweeping blade. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of the duality there of the whole scenario. Yeah. You know? um, so what's your life like at this point? Like what, what kinds of things are the things that bring you joy if you would say that's accurate for you or you know what 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 does your poet's life look like uh it's pretty average you know um hang out with the wife and kid and go to work and uh sit down and bang out some poetry as as often as possible you know there's not a whole lot you know i mean huge music fan we go on hikes out here because that's the thing to do when you're in the mountains you know Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of try to live a simple, normal life that I would have thought was torture years ago. (laughs) Uh, It's it's nothing too exciting, you know, Uh um, just kind of being, trying to be content with, with, you know, what 
the day offers, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. and and sometimes that's easier said than done. But yeah. you know, it is what it is. Um, and how often are you out performing? Not as often as I would like. Quite honestly, there there is a monthly showcase here called the Rogue Poetry Slam in Ashland, Oregon, for anyone that's listening. Um, it's a great, great uh, group of regulars that show up, and then there's always a couple handful of surprises. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the third Thursday of every month. Mm-hmm. That one is probably the most regular reading I go to. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of readings where I live. There's, mm-hmm. there's three or four of them, and... Quite honestly, of I say there's four of them. Three of them, my style doesn't really jive with theirs. It's uh, you know, it's more how should I say this? Academic and yeah. uh, of that, you know, which just doesn't really do it for me. And at the mm-hmm. same time, I, I'll go sometimes just because I like to uh, offend people and kind of <laughs> you know. <laughs> Stick it to them a little bit and you know, let them think I'm not a real poet because uh, I don't give a fuck. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's fun sometimes to just go ruffle people's feathers at those uh-huh. things. Uh-huh. But, you know, at the same time, you know, how, how often do you really want to do that? <laughs> but, yeah, so so it's kind of kind of slow, you know. Sometimes I'll try, I'll try to go because I'm only a four or five hour drive to San Francisco. So whenever I'm down there, I'll try to go to find a reading somewhere. Uh-huh. They got tons of them down there, you know, or in Portland as well, same, same distance to Portland. So, uh-huh. you know, a lot of it's trying to do that when I, yeah. whenever I go on little trips, yeah. you, know? you know, but, but I definitely like to support the, the Rogue Poetry Slam because the guy that runs it is great. And as are, like I said, a bunch of the regulars and it's cool because there's, it's a, a really wide spectrum of style and they're all solid you mm-hmm. know everybody that attends there so it's good it, you can you can you can get introduced to all sorts of different uh-huh. styles of poetry you know is it actually a slam each time or an open mic no it's a slam they got the whole you know three minute rules mm-hmm. uh gotta be your own material you know mm-hmm. um competition thing mm-hmm. um yeah, so yeah, actually, yeah, I just went to it the other day, and I didn't make it past the first round, so that was awesome. <laughs> like I said, but you know, yeah. there's super supportive crew that are like uh-huh. kind of the regulars, you uh-huh. know. So yeah, it's fun. slams are a whole different beast, and and I've I I I took it upon myself to organize a couple, and then and then move to um, doing things that were readings and we took the competition out of it. But I remember somebody, and I can't remember the name of the guy who actually started the whole thing of doing slams. And when I was watching some YouTubes about, you know, him talking about this and, and, and like the first slams were like the, the prize was, was Twinkies. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So I had a slam where Twinkies were the prize that everybody got. Nice. No, this one's actually pretty cool. The first, second, and third place normally walk away with a good chunk of change. Um, There's actually when I first started going to it, um, I I was laid off at the time, and we were kind of struggling. And I remember I put like my last five bucks in gas in to get to this slam, 
uh-huh. and went there and freaking won first place, one hundred bucks, and we had groceries yeah. for the week. You know, yeah, like, that's a good deal. Was, you know, and we, me and a buddy, make a joke there. We're like, you know, hundred dollars in poetry money is like ten thousand dollars in real life. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good experience. Yeah, it is a good experience. And even Islam, like you're saying, can be really supportive. That's what I saw the first time. Is the first the, the first slam I ever experienced was, was the one that I organized. <laughs> but yeah. I had people tell me some things about how to do it. But anyway. Hey, live and learn. This, yeah, this is, this is getting to the end of the hour, which just always surprises me. So I want to make sure that people know from you the name of your book, where they can get it. Yes, yes. It is yeah. called Crumbling Utopian Pipe Dream. Um, it's available on Amazon, or you can go direct to the publisher and get a couple books. Aside from yeah. just mine, that would be yeah. MoranPress.com. Um, those two places are where they're at. Or you know, always contact me, Scott Wozniak at Yahoo. I have copies. If anybody wants autographed copies, um, yeah. And um, I normally throw in a couple broadsides, and I got some uh, uh, poems for all memorabilia and stuff, you know, kind of spice the package up a little poems bit. poems for all. Yeah, they're, they're the shit. Definitely. Yeah. Shout out I to love... Robert Hansen. What a great project. Yeah, yeah that yeah. guy is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. amount of stuff he cranks out and is able to put together is, is just mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, do you have... I would do appreciate have... it. Yeah. Do you have a timetable saying you're guessing you'll have a book out next year or anything like that, that you want to just go ahead and drop that seed? Yeah, hopefully um, me and Yanni Carlson actually have a project we're working on. I, he has the manuscript. I'm just waiting for him to put his magic on there and it will either be out through his press, thanks to Petchy, unless we decide to maybe shop it around to a couple people that might want to back it up. Um, so, yeah, I'm super excited about that just because I'm a total fanboy when it comes to him and his work and just the, the way he brings things to life with a certain flair, you know, that mm-hmm. I don't think anybody can do it but him. So, mm-hmm. it, it's yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And that was one of the things that just kind of popped up, you know. Very cool. So right now, Crumbling Utopian Pipe Dream is available and soon to come another collection of poetry with drawings by Annie Carlson. Thank you so much, Scott Wozniak, for joining me today. Yes, thank you, Marsha. It's been fun. Yeah, and so long to our (laughs) listeners.